Hello, Ali here from the Empire Podcast. You're listening to the second of our special spoiler podcasts for Star Trek Into Darkness. The first saw myself, Helena Hara, James Dyer, and Chris Hewitt waxing nerdically over, well, as you may have guessed, Star Trek Into Darkness. We also interviewed Brian Burke, producer, Damon Lindelof, writer-producer, Alex Kurtzman, writer-producer, and Roberto Orsi, also a writer-producer. And as you may have heard on our regular Empire podcast, we had a few non-spoilery interviews with them. We also spoke to them in detail about what we couldn't talk about until after you guys had seen the film. Here are the spoiler interviews for you to enjoy. When did the idea of you-know-who as the bad guy come up? What about that chat with Benicio Del Toro that people talk about? And will there be another movie with, again, you-know-who as the bad guy? It's all here, so enjoy it. And of course, if you haven't watched the film, don't listen to this spoiler podcast. The first interview you'll hear is with Brian Burke and Damon Lindelof. Then there'll be another break, I'll come back in, and you'll hear Alex Kurtzman and Roberto Orsi. Both pairs were interviewed by Helen O'Hara and Chris Hewitt. This is the now clearly delineated uh, spoiler section. Yes. So I will pick up... It's Khan! It's Khan. <laughs> it is Khan. Yes. Um, so at what point... Whew, it's such a, it's such a relief <laughs> to just say it out loud. <laughs> James Khan. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. James T. Khan. No, that would be amazing. Oh my God, that'd be awesome. <laughs> Can you imagine? Um, I do love in the moment when it's... Uh, uh, Con Scotty, Scotty Con, because uh-huh. uh, Alex and Bob are doing Hawaii Five O with Scott Con. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that one. All right, All right that's of course. That's a nice little, uh, nice little quirk. I like that. Um, so, at what point did you? Uh, at what point was it? Gonna, was it always going to be Con in this movie? No. Uh, well, I mean, the only movie that we started talking about and actually working on was the movie with Con. But to Con or not to Con, that character is like the Joker in Batman. So it's mm. sort of like when we first started working on Trek. From the moment that JJ said, I'm going to do Star Trek, we started getting asked the question, is Khan going to be, even in the first movie? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and in truth, in, in truth, in our very first meeting, we brought up the idea yeah, of, course. Of, of Khan. It's like, let's just, you know, we're not going to be able to avoid that for long. I mean, our first meeting on the original film. On the original, yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. It's my belief when, when a question keeps rising to the top, and it's certainly the question that we had when, when you take off our filmmaker hat and put on our fanboy hat, which it, it feels like we're wearing both hats simultaneously. I love, my fanboy has a feather in it, by the way. Um, <laughs> oh, is that what that is? Yeah, it, it is. You just want to do it. And so there was an exercise in restraint to not do it the first time, but then ultimately all the fans start, started saying, don't do it. Don't do con. Like, you guys have sort of forged your own identity now here you don't need to do that stuff and then that then it became really tempting because the worst thing you can ever tell anyone to do is is not to do something <laughs> and so it really it became about how can we do this in a cle- in a in in a clever way we hope that also for me my gateway drug into trek in general was mm-hmm. the wrath of khan it was the first star trek that i saw that film i'd never seen uh, the original series prior to that and so when Chekhov and Paul Winfield uh, come down to SETI Alpha 5 and they come across this guy and then he just monologues yeah. he just monologues for like three or four minutes I understood that he had some connection to that they had come across him before and that it was bad mm. but I didn't understand that was all I needed to know so we wanted to create the same scenario for audiences in this movie which is when we finally reveal who he is, you need not have ever seen an episode of Star Trek or or these previous movies before, but you would get a sense of 
all right, this guy is important to Star Trek in some way, and he's bad. Like, yeah. this is a bad thing when he says my name is Khan. Yeah. So we also didn't want to just redo Space Seed, which is the most natural way to do Khan would be that the Enterprise comes across this derelict ship. And then we were like, well, the problem with doing that is the audience knows more than Kirk and Spock. Yeah. They'll come into it and they'll go, don't wake that guy up. He's bad. So is there a way that we could introduce that character in a way that it was surprising for the audience and the audience got to be have the same emotional experience that the crew had, and that was the beginning. That was the beginning of it. So, was it frustrating then, in in the light of that, that the minute Benedict was cast, lots of people were going, "Oh, he's Khan. <laughs> yeah, he must be Khan." And then, then the whole John Harrison smokescreen must have was that engineered partially to put people off the scent. I mean, the other thing is, as Damon said, with his feather hat, which is, you, you, <laughs> we we always are reminded when we're making these films any of our films uh, that were were fans if we weren't making the film we'd be the ones asking the questions as well so you, you understand that there are people asking these questions but it, it's like I, I'm reminded of one other thing which Damon said when we were doing Lost is it, he used to always talk about the idea that when we'd be so um, vigilant about trying to keep all of our secrets yeah. and then but some things would leak out and as Damon said his mom is one of those people who when she reads mystery novels she immediately flips to the last <laughs> chapter to see who did it yeah. and so I think what we try and do hi mom I know she <laughs> listens to the Empire podcast hi mom how are you <laughs> hi Mrs. Lindor <laughs> we um, we attempt to keep it keep all the spoilers as yeah. best mm-hmm. as we can out of out of sight. I mean, you know, people want to find out what's going on. They're going to find out. But for those like myself who mm. just like to go to a movie and go on the journey, mm. um, I try and avoid those things. So if if it became all part of the um, vernacular and got out there before the movie was done, mm. you kind of you lose that that experience. And I remember going to see Seven, for example, and not knowing Kevin Spacey yeah. was going to be in the movie, and I didn't know any of the ending, you know, any of the twists at the end of yeah, yeah. the most recent Dark Knight and all those things. And those are like it, it's a great experience. So I, I feel like if you want to yeah. find out the answers, yeah. you'll be listening to this podcast right now. If not, you will listen to the other one. And you and you do <laughs> and you do want to replicate the same experience that you had on other films so when I found out that Liam Neeson was cast in Batman Begins mm. for example I was like I I loved just not knowing I knew that there was something to it because they weren't telling me he's just this or the same thing with Joe Gordon-Levitt there was just the sort of idea of like we're not going to tell you who he's playing that was just very exciting you know that's part of the showmanship and, and why, why we do this mm. you just better make sure that there's a good reason that you're not telling people and I think that when we were you know, when we were initially casting for this role and for a brief period of time, it leaked out that we had a conversation with Benicio Del Toro, which is exactly what it was. He like came over to Bad Robot. We had a conversation with Benicio Del Toro. Everybody was like, they're definitely doing con. And then when when it ended up being Benedict, I think it created this fascinating dialogue where it's like, well, now they can't be doing con because it's Benedict Cumberbatch and, and he's going to, you know, that the, what what does Benedict Cumberbatch have in common with Ricardo Montalban and that, that's a setup for a joke that I yeah exactly shaved chests yeah. Um, and and essentially you have to remember that Ricardo Montalban played an Indian Sikh um, with a you know with a South American accent yeah. uh, and that was his interpretation of that character in the same way that Heath Ledger is playing the character of the Joker in an entirely w- different way than Nicholson did I know that we're married to canon and that 
whoever we cast should evoke the, the, the Montalban performance. But when you resign yourself to the fact of like, you just don't want any actor to be doing a Ricardo Montalban impression. Yeah. We certainly don't want Chris Pine to be doing a William Shatner impression. Yeah. I, I think that Carl is really the only one who can kind of lean into doing DeForest, but only in those moments where he's doing damn it, Jim, or like yeah. his bad metaphors. In the quieter <laughs> moments, he's, you know, he's, he's doing Carl's version of Bones. And I think that we had to say like, Khan is this character, he's an iconic character, but by casting Benedict, he has to do with the role, what we've done with Trek, which is make it his own. Yeah. And I think the work that he did is so astonishing that hopefully even the diehard fanboys aren't gonna cry foul on us <laughs> for not adhering to the, the character's Montalbanness. Cause it's basically like, this is what you wanted. When you were saying don't do Khan, you were just saying don't do Khan poorly. Like, <laughs> but you, you did want us to do it, didn't you? Yeah. Drive the car too fast. Like, yes, drive it fast. Just don't crash. I mean, the other kind of surprise, I guess, and, and this was, if anything, a better kept secret and not even rumored really secret was uh, was Weller, the, vil the real villain at the heart of Starfleet. In the early going, one of the things that we started talking about is in, in terms of the way that we wanted to do the story and present Khan was, is there a pos is there a way for, you know, it, it's sort of, um, you know, it's a Hong Kong action conceit of having the, the you know the bad guy and the good guy have to team up for the third <laughs> act of the movie and and then they have their guns on in each other's faces mm. we said is there you know that's the best version of doing con here where especially if if there's going to be another movie where Khan is the adversary if we don't kill him off in this movie and I think we all agreed that we didn't want to we wanted to put him back on ice that it would be cool if Kirk and Khan had to um, needed each other um, for, for at least a brief period in this movie and in order to do that there needed to be they needed to share a common enemy and I just feel like not it, in, in the spirit of honoring the Roddenberry-ness of Trek and Trek is really at its best when it's making commentary about the times that we live in now particularly being an American, that idea of not entirely trusting your leadership when they tell you there are weapons of mass destruction someplace yeah. or you know some country wants to kill you and you just sort of follow them blindly. I think that idea of, and, and the thing is, you, you, you say that Marcus is a bad guy and he is, um, but he's not entirely wrong mm. about the Klingons. Yeah. Um, what he's saying about the Klingons is exactly right. We know that they're a warlike species. We know that from canon, and we also know that when Uhura goes and tries to talk to them reasonably, they do. They behave in exactly the way that Marcus says they will. So there is this idea of this incredible threat that is coming our way, mm. and he uh, he's just in initiating a war with them, but he's going about it in entirely the wrong way too. So I think that, uh, JJ is very fond of saying this and I think he's exactly right all villains think they're the hero yeah. and I think that we thought that way about Marcus too but the idea that Kirk is basically you know blinded by vengeance is sort of led astray by by that guy and and, and just one more tangent because I, I think it's important to say which is we knew from the first movie that if we were going to blow up Vulcan, it couldn't just be a cool set piece, that it was going to have a profound effect on that universe. And so what is the price of blowing up Vulcan? And, and it just became very natural for us to say, Starfleet can't really just sit around and say, let's go explore planets and like, you know, and, and find some exciting aliens. They have to militarize because you know, this bad guy destroyed a Federation planet and then mm. tried to destroy Earth. So somebody in Starfleet would be saying, this can never happen again and we need to start building bigger ships with bigger guns. Yeah. And that just felt like a very natural progression for us. 
And um, just very, very briefly, because we've got to let you guys and go. And we wanted to work with RoboCop. <laughs> <laughs> Look, that's really what it's all about. Did he yeah. uh, bring the suit with him? Or yeah. <laughs> I imagine he's to be pried out of it. He brought, he brought his bonsai suit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Excellent. Um, just the last, the very last thing about the uh, That's Klingons. not the buckaroo bonsai suit. That's his bonsai suit, where <laughs> he just dresses like a small tree. <laughs> yes, <literally. laughs> yeah, it's just very strange. Yeah. Um, the Klingons themselves I mean it was so exciting watching them in this movie and having them show up and it seems to me that you mentioned Khan could come back as an adversary for you know the third movie or the fourth movie but it also seems to me you're setting up the Klingons as well a major Klingon Federation conflict have you have you guys thought about the third movie you know, is Star Trek in your thoughts now that JJ's moved on to to another star movie the Ringo Star the Ringo Star <laughs> the movie, Ringo star movie yeah. which is what we all want to see let's be honest <laughs> I do feel like no one's feeling like J.J. has left Star Trek. Yeah. I mean, especially right now, it feels like we're all very much together. And as a and as a you know as a huge fan of Star Wars, that that's literally the seminal creative experience of my life. The fact that that's in J.J.'s hands now, and Brian's and 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 all those guys couldn't be more reassuring. So again, with my feather fanboy cap on, I'm just like. As a producer on Star Trek, I don't want anything to compromise the awesomeness of Star Wars. That said, we've all worked very hard to and and care very deeply about Trek, and we're all talking about ways to make to make sure that um, that Trek continues in in the same you know with the same sort of qualitative standard that mm. we've we've put put forth so far. And you know we've been putting off the inevitable. So what are we doing next? Conversation just because literally we finished this movie 10 days ago just in terms of all the 3d and the imax and the sound mixing and um and so we're going to be sitting down really tomorrow for the first time you know right. the the brain trust the the five of us um uh brian and jj and alex and bob and myself to kind of say like all right you know what can we do from here you know everybody is so busy it's not just about jj and brian going off to do star wars but alex and bob have a number of different television shows they're developing they they just produced the second amazing spider-man film and maybe there's one behind that i uh i'm producing tomorrowland and wrote it with brad bird which goes into production this summer and then i have a pilot at hbo so it's just like you know what what are the pragmatic realities of of, of moving forward on trek because i don't think the audience is going to want to wait another four years and does that mean handing over the reins to somebody else mm. or what is it what is it what does it feel like for us? Because um, you know we we need it to be great, and we we don't want to um, we don't want to part time it. Trek really deserves everybody's full time. The five of us produced this film, and there were a million things going on as well. And um, while JJ is um, going to be directing another film in, in the foreseeable future, our our, our passion and love for um, Star Trek is obviously ingrained now in everything. Uh, that we do and we work on so it's as Damon said we're figuring out the the next plan but the the hope is obviously that um, uh, it will happen sooner than later is that a new hope <laughs> or an old hope I, I'm confused yeah <laughs> Khan Klingons dance number you know it makes sense <laughs> I guess okay <laughs> thanks guys for coming in thanks Pleasure. Thank, thank you, you. thank you That was Brian Burke and Damon Lindelof. Coming up next, Alex Kurtzman and Roberta Walsey. Uh, so can you, again, can you talk about what point it became clear that it was going to be Khan? And did you, in a, in a weird way, try and shy away from Khan initially? We did, actually. So in the first movie, we, we joked about possibly ending the movie with the discovery of the Botany Bay. 
Khan was on our minds. Um, but when we got actually into developing the second movie, we didn't want to fall in the trap of thinking, hey, if we just do Khan, everyone will love it. So in a way, we actually constructed the story from the very beginning as though it was somebody to- entirely new. And the story was constructed with it not being Khan in our minds. And then once we had the structure and realized that the story stood on its own, then we were able to go, well, maybe now this this character can be Khan and can we can we push the story in that direction a little mm. bit? And that's what we ended up doing. But at first, uh, it was just, the story has to stand on its own. We're not gonna rely on the name. We're not gonna rely on the villain being Khan. Let it stand on its own. And then once the story stood, we, we said, hey, it, Khan fits very nicely. <laughs> but what's interesting as well is that you don't just remake Wrath of Khan, mm-hmm. which again, must have been a conversation that you guys had. For sure. I mean, look, anybody who loves Star Trek and the movies in particular, you can't think of, of them without thinking of Khan. He was just hands down the greatest villain ever. And um, it, obviously, there's a tremendous amount of responsibility that you, you take on if you're going to tackle that. And we felt... As Bob said, that we, you know, we wanted to make sure that the story could stand on its own. But then, once we got to that place, we wanted to make sure that we could do honor to what Khan was. And, and again, in the spirit of I think what we all set out to do with Star Trek, how do you do something that feels entirely familiar and yet entirely different at the same time? Mm. So there are a lot of things about Khan, obviously, that are holdovers from from uh, elements, characteristics that are holdovers from the Wrath of Khan, but. Uh, the story is in many ways very different, and Benedict's characterization is entirely different than Ricardo Montalban's, yeah. um, and that was exciting to us because I, I think we all, we all felt that if we were just treading on the same ground, people would nail us for that. Mm-hmm. And look, there's going to obviously be a, an enormous amount of controversy over choices that you make when you're taking such an iconic character. You, but it's not a remake. That's right. what a lot of fans are worried about. It's right. not a remake, as yeah. you mm-hmm. point out. It's actually an original story with this character who happens to be Khan. Yeah. Mm. I mean, is there an idea, though, of, of some kind of almost destiny in this? Because, you know, there's a couple of little lines mm-hmm. and, and moments, and obviously, you know, Kirk and, uh, and Spock, you know, there, there's, there's, there's echoes there, and it's almost like there's a, there's a certain el- elasticity to time. You know, you've broken the timeline, yes. but maybe it's, it's reassembling itself in a similar manner. Echoes Somehow. is a great word. Echoes. So is harmony. The, always, the way we've always thought of these movies is to be harmonizing with canon. Yeah. In a way, it's just, it's an octave above or below what came before. Uh, the fact that the crew came together in itself is sort of evidence that the universe uh, likes Star Trek. <laughs> and so, so we always have thought of this as you can revisit situations, but they're going to play out differently, mm. and the characters will react differently, but their souls are the same. And so echoes is a great word for what this Star Trek is. It's echoes of what it was originally, mm. and therefore it... It pays homage to it, but it's also original. And the other thing that I think we we loved uniquely about what Khan did in The Wrath of Khan was he, he really served to force Kirk and Spock to make big, big choices, both about who they were as individuals, but who, who they were as a partnership. Mm-hmm. And that felt particularly relevant to us here because one of the mistakes that we did not want to make from uh, inheriting everything from the first movie was to assume that our characters were the same characters in movie two that they were from the series. In the series, they had been together for quite a long time, and they were men who'd gone through many adventures together. At the end of Star Trek, Kirk and Spock are together as a result of... of necessity but they are not necessarily close yeah. mm-hmm. and this movie is really about their friendship forming against the backdrop of this villain who tests them both and who tests the two sides of, of Kirk and Spock and, and ultimately forces them to make choices that define what their relationship is to each other mm-hmm. and that feels very much like it is within the spirit of what the what the Wrath of Khan did and yet hopefully we we put a spin on it that feels very respectful and very fresh 
Can you talk, uh, um, I guess, about that decision, though, with the Kirk and Spock at the end of the movie to flip mm -hmm. the Rathacon dynamic mm -hmm. uh, for this movie? Well, I mean, again, you can't think of the Wrath of Khan without thinking of Spock's death. Yeah. I mean, you know, grown men weep when they talk about that. <laughs> and, and, and it's a wonderful thing. And, and, you know, we obviously thought, okay, you know, if you're going to do Khan, then you need to take it to that elevated emotional state, mm. which in many ways becomes a compass for your storytelling because you say, all right, we know we have to get there. However, if we're going to pay homage to it, how do we do it differently? What's the spin this time? And yet, how does it feel like the steps of this particular story lead to that inevitability? Mm -hmm. um, and that's those were a lot of the questions that we asked when we got there. And it's about Kirk earning being captain. The mm -hmm. first movie, he got to be captain so quickly. The second movie is, you know, in the first movie he found his destiny, in the second movie he earns it. Mm -hmm. And so it seemed like a logical conclusion <laughs> and, and that, that he would earn it uh, by paying with his life. And yeah. the common denominator too for for both cons is that Khan was dedicated to his family and to his crew. Mm -hmm. And as Bob just said, he he raises the question in this movie, how far would you go to keep your family together and yeah. to protect your crew, which is at the core of what Kirk is asking himself in this movie and that mm -hmm. is what kind of a captain am I going to be and how far am I going to go? Mm, absolutely. Uh, were you, uh, one, of the, one of the most emotional things about Spock's death in, in Wrath of Khan for me is the way that uh, Shatner's lip wobbles when he goes, Oh yeah. His, his most human. <laughs> were you tempted to have a funeral scene in this where, uh, or, or I, I guess Spock has this big emotional outpouring earlier? Uh, I think all all paths were considered, yeah. um, but th that kind of a moment isn't a moment that you can replicate. Yeah, that that was a moment yeah. that clearly happened when during the take, and and I think again, like to try and replicate those kinds of moments, people might have smelled it might have smelled funny, <laughs> you know. Um, and also, funerals don't test well. We found out. <laughs> okay, eulogies one year later, however, honoring yeah, the dead with hope. Candlelight vigils are great. Funerals right. not so much. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I have a couple of uh, very specific geeky questions. We were discussing this yesterday. Um, it, it looked uh, on Kronos like the moon of Praxis had already exploded. Mm. Well, there is it, it, the inspiration for that was sort of a city, sort of like Chernobyl, right. let's say, where it's been abandoned. It's it's still on the on the main planet, but it's it's a place that's uh, had some difficulties, mm. and maybe a civilization was built uh, on top of the old version of the Klingon civilization. So Scott Chambliss did an amazing job of putting the new on top of sort of ruins of a city that may have been gone through a, a Praxis-like event. Right. That's a really good geeky question. <laughs> that thank, was, you. No, thank you. Thank you. Very geeky. <laughs> um, I, I had a couple of other similarly geeky things. Oh, this was a, not so much a Star Trek geekery thing, but the attack on the Starfleet captains uh, on that room. Mm -hmm. um, we were discussing this yesterday. We thought it was very reminiscent of Godfather Three. You you thought correctly. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, they 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 definitely went after the heads of all the five ships. <laughs> <laughs> um, and and then the appearance of Spock Prime, if you will. Mm -hmm. Um, what was was it just a desire to get you know Leonard back involved? Well, I mean, yes, because anything we ever do, we want Leonard involved. But but uniquely so because here he gets to comment on Khan's placement in the story mm -hmm. and he you know he gets to set up a certain expectation for Spock about about both what to expect in dealing with Khan but also it raises the question of are we going to be repeating Spock's death in this movie what is Spock going to take away from learning from you know his prime self yeah. what the outcome was with Khan and after the first movie people wondered well isn't Spock just going to tell them everything <laughs> so it's actually nice to have Leonard Nimoy clarify that he is not intending to tell anyone anything he yeah. in fact in the movie says I've made a rule sort of not to 
you know, divert mm. your destiny through information that I have. However, <laughs> in this one case, <laughs> it's a special time. I got to tell you the truth here, buddy. So yeah. it answers a, a cool question from the first movie. Yeah. I know uh, William Shatner took uh, you and Damon to task on Twitter <laughs> about not appearing in this. So can we expect Kirk Prime at any point? Is this, <laughs> is this <laughs> Listen, Alex and I wrote him a great scene that, uh, that JJ did not feel was uh, appropriate for the movie. I'll but put we, it on JJ, huh? Well, <laughs> I, would, I would have sent it to him. But we wrote, we wrote a scene that, that I think we really stood behind for the first movie, and you can see it online at, uh, at several sites. Mm -hmm. And I think Shatner didn't believe me when I Twittered that we'd written him a scene. He's like, oh, sure, and Brandon Braga must have killed it, right? <laughs> he, he, he sort of put it on him. So uh, he's someone who's been in our minds as we develop all this stuff, mm -hmm. and he's never far from our minds. Um, one more really geeky question. If Khan's blood cures death, hmm. why refreeze him? Why refreeze him? So well, you can use his blood. Con? I'm just thinking, you know, a bit of a blood bank that you might want to have around. That's why you want him frozen, no? Yeah. <laughs> Keep him on tap. What, do you want him awake while you're drawing the blood? <laughs> Keep him on tap. On that bombshell. <laughs> Guys, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks so much for coming in. Thank and, you. And uh, hopefully see you for next time for uh, Mason Spider-Man 2. And then Star Trek 3 with added Klingons, I'm, I'm presuming. Thanks for having <laughs> us. Thanks for having us. Cheers, guys.